There was a knock one morning, a man was standing at my door. He said, hello, I'm from Halliburton, have you heard of us before? We'd like to lease your backyard to drill for natural gas. It's called hydraulic fracturing, and it is the very past for a clean energy future above the Marcella Stone. Plus, we'll give you lots of money and a new mobile phone. I said, you are a corporate crook. I don't believe the things you tell, and you can drive right off my property and then go straight to hell. No fracking way. No fracking way. I don't trust corporate salesmen, whatever they may say. No fracking way. 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 Greetings and welcome to Frack You Very Much, a fracking terrible podcast. That was David Rovix with No Fracking Way. That was an excerpt from that song. You can find that full song on Big Red Sessions. If you want to check out back episodes of Frack You Very Much, just go to frackyouverymuch.com. You can also follow on Twitter at FYVM Show. First up is a story from ABQ Journal. Dot com. This is written by Teresa Davis. Oil and gas, another piece in New Mexico's water puzzle. Craig Ogden has farmed alfalfa and cotton in southeastern New Mexico for nearly three decades. And he's seen the acreage used for farming dwindle as neighbors sees lucrative offers from the oil and gas industry. The northern border of his property teems with oil wells drilled in the past five years. Dozens of natural gas flares send bright orange flames into the sky. Quote, Fresh water for sale signs dot the nearby highway as trucks loaded with water tanks speed past. Oil isn't the only liquid gold in the Permian Basin. Energy companies need water and lots of it, to retrieve oil, and they pay millions of dollars to pump, store, and recycle water. Since the latest energy boom began, many of Ogden's lifelong neighbors have sold their water rights or farms to oil companies. Quote, you can't blame them, he said. It, this is a tough business, and those guys will pay big bucks for water. Production of oil and natural gas uses less than 1% of New Mexico's total fresh water use, according to the 2015 Water Use Report by the Interstate Stream Commission. But as hydraulic fracturing or fracking has become the norm in the state's southeastern corner, the volume of water flowing through the oil fields has skyrocketed. In 2020, the commission will release its next water use report, which should provide updated industry water numbers. Water demand for oil and gas drilling operations has also prompted legal battles. Former State Land Commissioner Aubrey Dunn filed a lawsuit last year alleging too much underground water was being pumped under temporary permits for energy use. 
As a farmer in arid New Mexico, Ogden, president of the state's Farm and Livestock Bureau, is always thinking about water. Quote, I am concerned about the amount of water they use for fracking, he said. Our water is getting saltier, and the Black River doesn't flow like it used to because of all the pumping. Irrigation for agriculture, which is mostly a cattle and alfalfa market, demands more than 70% of the regional water supply. But the booming oil sector is shifting the dynamics of water use. In many places, oil companies have bought water rights that were dormant for years. Water use per well in the Permian Basin of New Mexico and Texas increased by 770% from 2011 to 2016, according to the American Association for the Advancement of Science. The majority of water, as much as 2.6 million gallons, is used in the few weeks it takes to drill and complete a well. Environmental Protection Agency numbers show about 22.3 million gallons of water is used each day for fracking in the region. About 95% of oil and gas leases offered by the Bureau of Land Management in New Mexico in the past two years are in extremely high water stress areas, according to a Center for American Progress report. That means most energy leases are on the market, where more than 80% of the water supply is withdrawn each year. When you're talking about water in a water-stressed place, it's a zero-sum game, said Jenny Rowland Shea, Senior Public Lands Policy Analyst for the Center for American Progress and author of the report. There is potential to threaten water supplies for ranchers, farmers, and communities, which means the BLM and federal government need to pay more attention to the impact of leases on watersheds. The state is ramping up pressure to recycle fracking wastewater instead of using fresh water. Energy companies have responded by investing in recycling technology and infrastructure. Ryan Flynn, CEO of the New Mexico Oil and Gas Association and former Environment Department Secretary, said the industry has worked to dramatically reduce its freshwater use since the record oil production began. Quote, Companies understand that they have a critical opportunity to be more, more water efficient, Flynn said. When we have a conversation about water usage as a state, if you focus just on oil and gas water usage, you will barely move the needle. We have smart companies, scientists, and engineers flocking to New Mexico, looking at the big picture of water and making things work. Vast networks of pipelines carry water throughout the oil fields of Eddy and Lee counties, and water trucks traverse the miles and miles of dusty dirt roads to service drilling rigs. Water recycling facilities can be seen among the wells and pump jacks. More than 600 water haulers have permits with the state's oil conservation division. Fracking blasts water, sand, and chemicals deep underground to break up the shale formation and retrieve oil trapped in tiny pockets. Wastewater that surfaces along with the oil or natural gas is labeled, quote, produced water. 
For every barrel of oil generated, four to seven barrels of salty produced water surfaces. That means 168 to 294 gallons of produced water for every 42 gallons of oil. Produced water was once viewed as a burdensome byproduct. Companies disposed of wastewater by injecting it into underground wells. The industry attitude was that fresh, pure water was best for retrieving oil. But now the oil industry wastewater is being viewed in a new light. Quote, The stresses of climate change, drought, and increased fracking demand have transformed produced water into a resource which is astounding, said Jerry Sullivan Graham, a research professor at the University of New Mexico. We've come a long way in our thinking about this water. Oil companies are increasingly recycling the wastewater for future operations instead of accessing new supplies. The Produced Water Act, passed by the legislator and signed by the governor this year, allows operators to own the byproduct so that they can easily sell to recycling companies. That clarifies who owns wastewater during transport and who is liable for spills. In 2018, 1 billion barrels of produced water, equivalent to about 60,000 Olympus-sized swimming pools, came out of New Mexico's oil and natural gas fields. Quote, in an arid state like New Mexico, we need to think outside the box and be on the cutting edge, Flynn said. This legislation creates a regulatory framework to help the state identify what could be another source of water. In September, the New Mexico Environment Department and New Mexico State University announced a partnership to research produced water uses in oil fields and elsewhere. The consor consortium has provoked mixed reactions in the state. Quote, Don't call it produced water. Call it fracking waste, because that is what it is, said Wild Earth Guardians advocate Rebecca Sobel at an Albuquerque produced water meeting hosted by the State Environment Department in October. We don't want this toxic waste. Fracking chemicals are used to prevent corroded pipes and break up the shale. Several layers of well casing protect underground from liquids and chemicals flowing through the well. In New Mexico, companies are not required to disclose all the chemicals they use to retrieve hydrocarbons. Many large operators such as Halliburton, Chevron, and ExxonMobil disclose their chemical mixes to online databases such as FrackFocus. Some chemicals, such as radium, that emerge in produced water occur naturally. The research partnership is funded by energy companies. NGL Energy Partners, a water recycler in the Permian Basin, pledged $1 million to the efforts. Program Director Mike Hightower says the group wants to add state and federal funding. Many scientists and state leaders believe the research will address the reality of New Mexico's water supply and demand. Nicole Saunders, attorney for the Environmental Defense Fund, which studies chemicals in oil wastewater, cautioned against letting the promise of more water in a dry state cause agencies to overlook the uncertainties of produced water. But she said the research consortium is a good place to start. Quote, Water is so different from state to state, 
And most of our current produced water data comes from outside New Mexico, Saunders said. The reality is that the science, tools, technology are not ready for extensive produced water use outside industry. There is a risk to health and the environment if regulations get ahead of the science. This cannot be rushed. Farmer Craig Ogden knows how to adjust to changing times. He has lived through historic droughts and floods that threaten to devastate his crops. He is learning to live with the region's changing demands for water. A company offered to pay to build a water pipeline through Ogden's property, but he turned down the offer. Just a few months ago, one of those speeding water trucks veered off the road and plowed right through a neighbor's alfalfa field. Quote, everyone is in a hurry, he said. I've never seen anything like it. And next up is a piece published by the postgazette.com. And that postgazette is the Pittsburgh Postgazette. It's titled, Is Shale Development Worth the Costs? A CMU study says no. Although the massive shale gas build-out in the Appalachian Basin has produced significant economic benefits, a new Carnegie Mellon University study says all the drilling, fracking, and cracking isn't worth the environmental health and climate damage. The study estimates air pollution from shale gas development activities in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia from 2004 to 2016, resulted in 1,200 to 4,600 premature deaths in the region. And while most of the added employment occurred in rural areas, most of the health impacts were felt in urban areas. Quote, It's a rural job phenomenon with urban health impacts, said Nicholas Muller, Associate Professor of Economics, Engineering, and Public Policy at CMU, and one of five study authors. That's the trade-off. How are regulators able to evaluate that trade? Advocacy groups on either side of the issue reacted to the study with a mix of skepticism and praise. The Marcellus Shale Coalition, which represents oil and gas companies, cited other studies that found little pollution impact and significant economic benefits. The BREATHE Project, a coalition that includes environmental advocates, public health professionals, and academics, hailed the CMU study as groundbreaking and said that such a comprehensive analysis is long overdue. The study is the first to put dollar values on some of the external and cumulative costs of shale gas development and could help better evaluate the positive and negative impacts, said Jared Cohan former CMU president and one of the study authors. Quote, We're saying there are employment benefits and environmental and climate costs. Whether shale gas development is worth the costs is a value judgment, in my view, one that individuals and policymakers can make, said Mr. Cohan, a professor in CMU's Civil and Environmental Engineering and Engineering and Public Policy departments. Specifically, The study looked at public health, environmental impacts, and climate change in assessing the industry impact. 
Premature deaths had an economic toll of $23 billion based on mid-range calculations that were the median and most likely outcomes of a wide range of potential results, according to the peer-reviewed study, which appeared in the November 18 journal Nature Sustainability. Climate impacts produced mid-range costs of an additional $34 billion based on emissions from 2004 to 2016, and those will persist generations longer than gas industry jobs, the study found. The jobs and related economic benefits have an estimated mid-range value of $21 billion based on employment calculations in counties throughout the region. Meanwhile, the study found that the cumulative impacts of natural gas development on water and air quality, ecosystem, climate, labor markets, and public health, quote, are still largely unexplored and unaccounted for in public and private decision-making. The study's lead author, Aaron Mayfield, a postdoctoral research associate at Princeton University's Princeton Environmental Institute, said better analytic tools that account for climate, environmental, and public health impacts are needed to help policymakers make good decisions. The study modeled a wide range of health, environmental, and climate impacts that directly stem from natural gas development activities and provides a method for calculating environmental and pollution damage for comparison with the industry's economic benefits. For example, according to the study, for every three job years created by the industry, three people each working one year or one person working three years, one year of life is lost for a resident in the region. That means someone died a year prematurely due to increased pollution exposure for every three years of employment in the shale gas industry. Quote, Jobs are important, but you have to look at the whole picture, and that's the context this paper tries to provide, Mr. Muller said. Who's comfortable with the calculation of a life shortened by a year for every three years of employment created? Mr. Kohan said it's important for the public and political leaders to know about and evaluate the trade-offs that will continue to occur due to development of the Marcellus and Utica shale gas plays. Quote, We see the job benefits over the last 10 to 15 years, but there are also air quality and climate impacts. All are st statistically significant, Mr. Kohan said. The environmental impacts of shale gas development are comparable to other heavy industrial development impacts, he said. To compensate for the environmental and climate change costs of the region's shale gas industry, the study recommends a production tax of $2 for every 1,000 cubic feet of gas to account for air quality and climate change impacts. Based on existing severance tax or impact fee revenue and production rates from 2004 to 2016 in Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia, the shale gas industry paid just $0.08 cents per 1,000 cubic feet of gas produced, the study said. Private firms across the supply chain have not faced the full costs of natural gas development, Ms. Mayfield said, 
and the public has effectively subsidized greenhouse gas and air pollution emissions that result in climate change and health impacts. Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf has been pushing for a higher severance task tax on natural gas production for years, but hasn't been able to overcome opposition from the state legislature. Mr. Cohan said a $2 fee would elicit strong opposition from the shale gas industry and would have no political support. Still, he said, it's helpful to put a dollar figure on the environmental and climate costs. Quote, Consumers make decisions based on price signals. If the price doesn't reflect the true costs, then they can't make informed decisions, he said. Shell Chemical Appalachia is building a massive petrochemical complex in Potter Township, Beaver County, with support from government-backed incentives. An ethane cracker and three other units at the plant promised to turn the natural gas liquid produced as part of the shale gas drilling into plastic pellets used by other industries. Mr. Kohan said decisions about building a handful of additional cracker plants would benefit from making a collective assessment of their environmental health and climate impacts. Quote, The key will be to look at the cumulative impacts of the cracker industry in western Pennsylvania and the impacts of two or three or five more, he said, and try to, pro- to project those impacts into the future. The study's scope is limited It doesn't look at the air quality benefits that might result from using natural gas instead of coal, or what the use of the gas is substituting for. The study also does not take into account premature deaths avoided by using gas instead of coal for electric power generation. The wide range of monetary benefits or damages the study found for impacts on employment, the environment, and climate reflect the uncertainty of different models and the data but the findings are statistically significant, Mr. Kohan said. Quote, We now have a powerful tool to analyze the impacts of the shale gas development, he said, and that should make the decision-making better. The Marcellus Shale Coalition, the region's shale gas trade and lobbying organization, did not comment on specifics of the CMU study, but responded by touting widespread economic benefits and deep concern for and commitment to the region's environment and public health and safety. And next up is a piece from Food and Water Watch. This is a statement from Mitch Jones. This is published on commondreams.org. A number of recent reports indicate that the Environmental Protection Agency is studying the possibility of allowing states vast new discretion to allow much more dumping of processed wastewater from oil and gas drilling and fracking operations directly into natural waterways like rivers and streams. In response, Food and Water Action and Climate and Energy Policy Director Mitch Jones issued the following statement. Simply put, there is no safe way to manage or dispose of highly toxic radioactive fracking wastewater. 
but dumping it straight into rivers and streams, many of which are the source of drinking water for countless communities across the country, is patently absurd. Because fracking operations are foolishly exempt from the Safe Drinking Water Act. We don't even know all of the dozens of chemicals used to frack in most places. But we do know that fracking fluid and waste contains many heavy metals, known carcinogens, endocrine, disru endocrine disruptors, and radioactive materials. Disposing of such materials in public waterways would be courting disaster and death. It is virtually impossible to safely manage fracking wastewater at treatment facilities. In Pennsylvania, sewage treatment plants that are supposed to treat local municipal wastewater and industrial discharges have been used to treat fracking wastes. They have been ineffective, and heavy metals, radionuclides, salts, and other fracking waste contaminants have passed through the processes. The only way to stop these radioactive and chemical-laden wastes from further imperiling communities and the environment is by banning drilling and fracking everywhere. Instead of doubling down on fossil fuels, we should invest in a fair and just transition to 100% renewable energy starting now. And next up is a story from westward.com. This one is written by Chase Woodruff. Members of a youth-led activist organization held a sit-in today, December 6, inside the office of Governor Jared Polis, demanding that he take stronger action to address climate change and bring an end to new fossil fuel production in Colorado. Following a youth climate strike rally held on the steps of the state capitol earlier on Friday, about a dozen members of climate activist group The Sunrise Movement visited Polis's office and asked to speak with the governor. They say they've repeatedly asked to meet with Polis to discuss their demands, which include the declaration of a climate emergency and a halt to state-issued permits for oil and gas drilling. Quote, why are we here? Because Polis won't listen to our demands, Sunrise organizer Michelle Windling said, as demonstrators began the sit-in. How many times have we come here and asked for him to give us a response? Too many times. Quote, the governor is out of the office, Polis spokesman Connor Cahill said in a statement. We would consider this request as we consider all scheduling requests that are submitted through our website. Quote, we first delivered these demands to Governor Polis back in September, says Morgan Anker, a Sunrise activist. We followed up in October, and we never got a response from him. So we would just really would like our leaders to respond to their constituents. The Sunrise Movement rose to national prominence after a series of sit-ins held at the U.S. Capitol in late 2018 and was a major force behind the Green New Deal, a sweeping pro progressive proposal to combat the climate crisis through a massive expansion of federal investment in jobs and clean energy. Polis and other Colorado Democrats largely took a different approach in the wide-ranging new climate policies they enacted in 2019, emphasizing consumer choice and a market-based transition to renewable electricity generation, electric vehicles, and more. Quote, Under the governor's leadership, 
Colorado has enacted bold legislation to address the threat of climate change, put the state on a pathway to 100% renewable energy by 2040, give local communities more of a say in where oil and gas activities occur, and is committed to protecting clean air and water and expanding access to public lands, Cahill said. Quote, I think Polis has interests that don't align with the progressive future we're envisioning in the Green New Deal, Anchor says. I think there's a lot of fear of rocking the boat and the status quo, but that's what we need in a climate emergency. Polis's staff told demonstrators that they will try to schedule a meeting between the governor and Sunrise activists soon, but couldn't commit to a specific date and time. Quote, it's important that the governor himself approach us, says Windling, who spoke for about 15 minutes on Friday with a member of the governor's senior staff. It's important that he account for the multiple climate strikes that have happened in front of his office on the Capitol steps without any response from him. Windling says a group plans to stay in Polis's office until the Capitol building closes at 5 p.m. And this piece here is from CommonDreams.org, written, written by Ewan Higgins. If you want a candidate committed to banning fracking in the United States immediately, find another candidate than Joe Biden. That's the advice of Biden himself, given to an activist from the Sunrise Movement in a video posted online Thursday, after the two discussed the former vice president's advisor, Heather Zichal and Biden's plans for the future of fracking. In the video of the interaction posted on Twitter by Sunrise Thursday afternoon, Biden appears confused about Zichal's connections to the natural gas industry, protesting that the advisor, quote, worked for us in the administration. No, no, I know, the Sunrise activist patiently explains as Biden grabs him by the shoulders. But she also worked... If you look at my record, Biden begins, look at my record. Just look at my record. The two discuss fracking as well. Biden tells the activists that, quote, you can't ban fracking right now because you've got to transition away from it. You're going to ban fracking all across America right now, right? Biden asks the Sunrise activist. I would love to, the activist replies. I'd love to, too, says Biden. I'd love to make sure we can't use any oil or gas, period. Now, now, is that possible? Yes, replies the Sunrise activist. Well, you ought to vote for someone else, says Biden, releasing the young man and moving on. As Sludge reported in May, advisor Zichal, quote, recently occupied a lucrative seat on the board of the Texas-based liquefied natural gas company, Chenier Energy. Chenier is a frequent donor to Republican politicians. Counterpunch editor Jeffrey St. Clair referred to Biden's No Malarkey bus tour in a tweet about the interaction. Quote, Here's some choice malarkey from Biden on his climate advisor, Heather Zichal, who pulled down more than a cool, or hot, I guess, million on the board of Chenier Energy, a Texas-based liquefied natural gas company whose execs she'd gotten cozy with while working for Obama, tweeted St. Clair. 
The interaction caught the attention of Brianna Joy Gray, campaign press secretary for Bernie Sanders, who earlier this year added a federal fracking ban to his 2020 campaign platform. Quote, Biden says you ought to vote for somebody else if you want us to ban fracking and transition away from fossil fuels now, tweeted Gray. Might I recommend Bernie Sanders, the climate candidate? And next up, a piece from The Guardian, written by Jillian Ambrose. The government has heavily redacted a secret report into the fracking industry after it was forced to comply with a court order for its release. The Whitehall report on the UK shale gas sector emerged on Monday after a years-long battle to uncover the hidden documents. But with three-quarters of its pages blacked out, the 48-page report seen by The Guardian includes 37 pages that are entirely blacked out, and only one, the front cover, that was left uncensored. The remaining paragraphs outline plans to help frackers by countering the public's rising public opposition to the industry with a government-led campaign to develop a, quote, pro-shale narrative. The report, written in 2016, was finally released after an information tribunal ruled that it would be in the public interest to disclose its findings. Greenpeace has fought a long legal battle with the government over the suppression of the document. Rebecca Newsom, Greenpeace's UK head of politics, said, quote, Looking at this black wall of redacted pages, people will be wondering why there's so little the government is willing to reveal about fracking and so much it wants to hide. Quote, If ministers have really dropped their support for this polluting industry, why not publish this report in full and come clean about what's been going on behind closed doors for years? The report's unredacted paragraph said that the government was, quote, already undertaking crucial work on communications to increase public acceptability of shale and promised further government help to develop, quote, a pro-shale national regional narrative and shale champions. Greenpeace said the conservative government should ban fracking permanently after it called an immediate halt to drilling in England this month. The government said it would not agree to any future fracking, quote, until compelling new evidence is provided that proves fracking could be safe amid concerns over ground tremors caused by drilling. Quote, People would feel much more confident about the Conservatives' pledge on fracking if they used the overwhelming evidence of its unacceptable risks to people and our environment to introduce a permanent ban and put this industry to bed once and for all, Newsom said. Fracking, also known as hydraulic fracturing, involves pumping water, chemicals, and sand underground at high pressure to fracture shale rock and release trapped oil and gas. Environmental campaigners argue that fracking should be banned because it increases carbon dioxide emissions and causes air and water pollution alongside ground tremors. John Trickett, the shadow minister for the cabinet office, said the Conservative Party has, quote, 
bent over backwards to serve the interests of big business, especially the oil and gas industry, while ignoring the voices of local people. The report was released to unearth the investigations arm of Greenpeace after a lengthy battle between the campaigners and the cabinet office. Greenpeace uncovered some of the report's findings last year through a Freedom of Information request, but the campaigners were barred by cabinet office officials from obtaining the full report. The Freedom of Information request found that the shale gas industry was unlikely to achieve the exaggerated economic benefits promised by its proponents due to strong local opposition to fracking, with only 4% of the UK's potential shale projects likely to go ahead in the face of strong opposition. Ken Cronin of UK Onshore Oil and Gas said the case for UK shale gas development, quote, is stronger than ever because the UK is relying more heavily on gas from Qatar and Russia. Quote, this report plainly shows that there is still a lot of work left for us to do, which is what our members will be focusing on in the coming months, he said. The government's own data revealed last month that public opposition to shale gas fracking has climbed to record highs, while support for the shale industry has slumped to the lowest levels since records began six years ago. The Cabinet Office declined to comment. And this next piece is from truthout.org, written by Dana Drugmund. The American Petroleum Institute, the nation's largest oil and gas trade association, is promoting a new video touting domestic natural gas production as essential to energy security. The video titled, quote, America's Energy Security, a Generation of Progress at Risk, comes at a time when calls for halting new fossil fuel production and infrastructure are getting louder and coincided with the release of a United Nations report highlighting the misalignment between global climate goals and countries' plans to develop fossil fuels. API's video is part of a broader strategic campaign by the oil and gas industry to quash public support for a national ban on hydraulic fracturing and to promote itself as, quote, the natural gas and oil industry. The lobbying group released its video last week to coincide with the fifth Democratic presidential debate, saying, quote, Some Democratic presidential candidates are now proposing restrictive energy policies that would erase a generation of American progress. Several leading Democratic presidential contenders have said they would include a ban on fracking as part of their climate plan. Elizabeth Warren has pledged to immediately end oil and gas leasing offshore and on public lands, and also to, quote, ban fracking everywhere. Bernie Sanders includes a ban on fracking in his comprehensive climate plan, and he repeatedly references via Twitter his commitment to ban fracking. Kamala Harris said during a televised climate town hall in September that she would seek to ban fracking as well. And we know since that time, Kamala Harris has dropped out of the race. Tying domestic oil and gas to patriotism. The fact that presidential candidates are even talking about a fracking ban undoubtedly has a petroleum industry concerned. As the new API video implies, 
The video features former presidents from both political parties, from Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan to George W. Bush and Barack Obama, declaring the importance of ending reliance on foreign oil and speaking to progress in advancing domestic petroleum production. The video, which also features patriotic images like the Statue of Liberty and American flags, concludes with the message, support America's energy security, oppose a fracking ban. Patriotic imagery is central to the branding and messaging of another organization pushing gas industry talking points. That group, the Empowerment Alliance, TEA, is a new dark money organization devoted to, quote, securing America's energy independence by singularly promoting natural gas. TEA launched at the end of September and, like API, is gearing up to push back against proposed climate policies and frameworks like the Green New Deal and a fracking ban. The oil and gas industry pushback comes at a time when momentum is building in the U.S. and abroad towards serious climate action that includes a just transition away from fossil fuels. In September, on the eve of the massive global climate strikes, over 400 activists sent a letter to U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres calling for a worldwide ban on fracking. The United Kingdom announced a temporary fracking ban in early November, and on November 14, the European Investment Bank announced that it would end financing for fossil fuel projects by 2021. In the U.S., California Governor Gavin Newsom recently took a step towards banning fracking in the state by announcing a moratorium on steam-injected drilling, along with stricter review and regulations on oil and gas extraction. And last week, the greater Boston community of Brookline, Massachusetts, passed a ban on oil and gas systems in new buildings and renovations, following the lead of California communities that have passed similar measures. Also last week, on the same day API released its energy security video, the United Nations Environment Program and other research organizations published a new report that, for the first time, analyzes the planned production of fossil fuels in the context of the Paris Agreement goal to limit warming to 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit, 1.5 Celsius, and well below 3.6 Fahrenheit, or 2 Celsius, above pre-industrial levels. That report found a large, quote, production gap between countries' commitment to limit warming and their plans for expanding coal, oil, and gas production. Quote, moving away from fossil fuel production is possible and increasingly necessary to avoid dangerous climate change, the report says. In other words, significant fossil fuel producing nations like the U.S. must start curbing production to get in line with global climate commitments. Though earlier this month, President Trump made official his intention to withdraw the U.S. from the Paris Agreement. The UN is now saying that banning fracking or imposing other fossil fuel supply-side policies is necessary to confront the climate crisis. The oil and gas industry, meanwhile, seems intent on convincing the American public and politicians that banning fracking is a terrible idea, climate crisis aside. 
On November 14, API posted a commentary claiming that a fracking ban would, quote, devastate U.S. energy and the world economy, citing another recent article by a Manhattan Institute senior fellow warning of a global recession should the U.S. ban fracking. The Manhattan Institute is a recipient of fossil fuel funding and regularly attacks clean energy and climate policies. Attacks which include making false claims about electric cars and calling the Democratic presidential candidate's climate plans pure fantasy. Running the U.S. economy entirely on clean, renewable energy, the Manhattan Institute claims, is simply not possible given today's technology and basic physics. Contrast that with the assertion that it is entirely technologically possible, as outlined by Stanford researcher Mark Z. Jacobson. Furthermore, the claim that a fracking ban would cause a global recession completely ignores warnings that the climate crisis, which fracking worsens, literally threatens the global economy, according to sources such as the World Economic Forum. Nevertheless, fossil fuel producers and their promoters continue claiming that restraining oil and gas production is the real economic threat. The Detroit News ran a recent op-ed under the headline, quote, Banning fracking would disrupt global economy. The author of that op-ed, Hillsdale College economics professor Gary Wolfram, has been affiliated with notorious climate science-denying organization, the Heartland Institute, which has received funding from Coke Industries and ExxonMobil. The Empowerment Alliance linked to Wolfram's piece in the, quote, news section of its website. Republicans in Congress, recipients themselves of oil and gas cash, are supporting the industry's opposition to banning fracking. Several Republicans have introduced resolutions prohibiting a unilateral moratorium on fracking by a president. Democrats in the House already blocked one of those resolutions, sponsored by Representative Rob Bishop of Utah. Senator Pat Toomey of Pennsylvania introduced a similar resolution in the Senate. Quote, Natural gas has been a game changer for our country and our commonwealth, Toomey said. It is essential we push back on these ideas that threaten the prosperity and security of Pennsylvanians and Americans. As Senator Toomey put it, quote, These ideas, like banning fracking, may threaten the oil and gas industry. But citizens are increasingly viewing reining in the industry as essential to protecting their health and environment. The coalition Pennsylvanians Against Fracking is advocating for a fracking moratorium in Toomey's home state. And last week, the state, following visits from families of rare cancer patients, announced, an, announced nearly $4 million in funding for studies on the health impacts of fracking. In other states, including Iowa, Nevada, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, a recent poll commissioned by Greenpeace found that two in three voters in these early primary states, regardless of political affiliation, support ending the production of fossil fuels. API plans to target, quote, key 2020 states, with a digital campaign promoting its new energy security video, relaying the misleading message that American oil and gas production is the only path to energy security, ignoring the fact 
that 100% renewable energy, which over 100 U.S. cities have already committed to, also creates energy security and independence. But as the UN's new production gap report reiterates, unrestrained oil and gas production is inconsistent with the world's climate targets. Current production plans result in 43% more oil and 47% more gas in 2040 than would be consistent with a 2 degree centigrade or Celsius pathway, according to the analysis. And while the oil and gas industry likes to point out point to the role of natural gas in reducing carbon emissions while ignoring increases in global warming methane emissions, the production gap report warns that, quote, the rapid rise in oil and gas production will push total U.S. extraction-based CO2 emissions 40% above 2005 levels by 2025. Quote, the time to begin planning for a wind-down of gas production is, as with other fossil fuels, already upon us. And finally, a piece from truthout.org, written by Julie Dermansky, originally for Dsmog Blog. This piece is called, With Cold's Decline, Pennsylvania Sees Rise of Natural Gas-Fueled Plastics. For Beaver County, just northwest of Pittsburgh, the construction of Royal Dutch Shell's towering new plastics factory overshadows the closure of Bruce Mansfield Power Plant, the state's largest coal power station, located along the same stretch of Ohio River in western Pennsylvania. The juxtaposition of these two projects, in which one powerful fossil fuel supply rises as the other falls, reflects the broader pattern of changing energy sources in America. A growing chorus agrees the expansion of the natural gas industry, which feeds plastics and petrochemical plants like shells, is moving the U.S. in the wrong direction to prevent catastrophic impacts from climate change. Scientists have warned that if the world doesn't limit global temperature increase to 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit above pre-industrial levels called for in the 2015 Paris Agreement, we won't be able to prevent the most severe effects of global warming. On November 20, a November 20 report from the United Nations Environment Program assesses the gap between Paris Agreement climate goals and countries' planned production of fossil fuels. The report states that, quote, the world is on track to produce about 50% more fossil fuels in 2030 than would be consistent with limiting warming to 2 degrees Celsius and 120% more than would be consistent with limiting warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius. While coal is the biggest driver, according to the report, oil and gas are also on track to exceed carbon budgets as countries continue to invest in fossil fuel infrastructure that, quote, locks in oil and gas use. The shale gas industry has been building demand for fossil fuels from its fracked oil and gas wells by promoting turning its products into plastics and petrochemicals. At a packed 
November 6th public meeting at the Beaver Library. Residents from Beaver County and Pittsburgh's greater metropolitan area expressed growing concerns about how the Shell plant could degrade the area's already compromised air quality and affect public health. Matt Mahalik, executive director of the advocacy group Breathe Project, presented a slideshow about the plant and the build-out of the petrochemical industry in the Ohio River Valley. He labeled the Shell plant's annual permitted 2.2 million tons of carbon dioxide emissions, quote, a disaster from a climate perspective. He then pointed to the Cheswick Power Plant, another old coal station 18 miles northeast of Pittsburgh, as a comparable carbon polluter. Climate pollution isn't the only concern for a region which has received an F grade for high ozone days, the main component of smog, and particulate pollution in the American Lung Association's 2019 State of the Air report. Shell's plastics plant could be joined by similar plants proposed nearby, including PTT Global Chemicals in Belmont County, Ohio, which would also affect regional air quality and rumors that ExxonMobil has been searching in Beaver County for a suitable location to build a petrochemical plant like Shell's have many worried that the area will become too polluted to live in. These petrochemical complexes, also known as cracker plants or ethane crackers, because they heat up the natural gas liquid ethane in order to crack it into ethylene, and can further refine that into the polyethylene pellets called nurdles used to manufacture plastic products. Cracker plants run on feedstock produced by fracked gas wells that are already plentiful in Pennsylvania. According to the Breathe Project, a single petrochemical plant would require industry to open more than 1,000 new well pads every three to five years to supply feedstock for plastics manufacturing. And some Pennsylvania residents are already up in arms about polluted air, soil, and water issues created by the fracking industry statewide since the fracking boom began in 2008. We are locking into place an infrastructure with natural gas-fired power plants that will guarantee that our carbon emissions will go up over time, Mahalik warned. It is exactly the wrong time for that to happen. That is when the window actually to stop runaway climate change will close. He pointed out that while the state's carbon footprint started going down due to closing coal power plants, those gains are being offset by new natural gas-fired power plants and a growing petrochemical industry. This month saw the country's two biggest coal power plants shut down. Pennsylvania's 2.7-gigawatt Bruce Mansfield plant, and Arizona's 2.25-gigawatt Navajo Generating Station. The closures have major climate implications. Their combined carbon dioxide emissions between 2010 and 2015 were nearly equivalent over that same time to the 15 gigawatts of coal plants that closed in 2015, according to E&E News. Meanwhile, community members in Shippingport, a small neighborhood sandwiched between the Bruce Mansfield power plant and the Beaver Valley nuclear power station, slated to close in 2021, 
worry about the natural gas industry looking to take over their small town. Both the coal and nuclear plants are owned by First Energy Solutions. While I was taking photographs of the homes between the two plants, William Green, the former borough manager for Shippingport, told me people in his small community of about 250 worry that Shell is planning to buy both First Energy plants as well as the entire town. He said that there is talk that the plants could be converted into natural gas power plants. At the November 6th community meeting in the town of Beaver, Mahalik asserted that replacing coal plants with natural gas plants won't save us from climate catastrophe, and that when natural gas is converted into, into feedstocks to produce plastics, it generates enormous carbon dioxide emissions. Quote, Petrochemical industry expansion is completely contradictory to the principles of addressing climate change, improving air quality, protecting water, and pursuing a sustainable and resilient community approach to regional development. A November 20 press statement from the Breathe Project stated, Turning any region into a massive petrochemical hub is a huge step in the wrong direction on climate change when we should be investing in clean energy, not fracking and plastics. Environmental advocates and activists have been trying to stop the growth of the petrochemical industry in Louisiana for the same reason. The proposed Formosa petrochemical complex in St. James, Louisiana would generate enormous greenhouse gas emissions in the process of converting natural gas into the feedstocks to produce plastics. If permitted, it will be, it will be able to emit 13.6 million tons of carbon dioxide per year, the equivalent of three coal-fired power plants. Corinne Van Dalen, an attorney with Earth Justice working with community members to stop the plant, told Rolling Stone, Among 219 currently proposed oil and gas projects in the U.S., the Environmental Integrity Project found that the Formosa plant would release the most carbon dioxide, by a wide margin. Environmentalists in Pennsylvania and Louisiana, both shale-rich states, have to contend with industry capture of regulators and politicians. Fossil fuel industry projects are approved despite concerns raised about insufficient environmental impact studies or climate impacts. Concerned citizens in both states have accused regulators of serving industry's needs instead of protecting people and the environment. Pittsburgh Mayor Bill Peduto tapped into that sentiment at the city's Climate Action Summit on October 30 when he expressed his opposition to new petrochemical industry development. Quote, We do not have to become the petrochemical plastics center of the United States, he declared, to hundreds of attendees at the summit. His comments continue to ripple through western Pennsylvania. A group of bipartisan elected officials in western Pennsylvania counties issued a statement on November 20 in support of natural gas and petrochemical development in the region, dismissing the mayor. Quote, so, while Mayor Peduto may speak for one city, we speak for the rest of this region, the officials wrote. To those in the natural gas and petrochemical industries, hear us when we say... Western Pennsylvania is open for business.
Members of the Breathe Coalition have rallied in defense of the mayor for opposing the petrochemical build-out. Quote, We would rather see such support go to jobs and projects that promote health, extend lives, and support frontline communities, Mahalik wrote in a November 20 Breathe Coalition press release. We know that through innovation we can create jobs, grow the economy, clean up our communities, and protect our health. We support leaders who commit to doing this. And that'll wrap up this episode of Frack You Very Much. Remember, you can check out all the back episodes online at frackyouverymuch.com. There you'll also find some links. You can make a one-time or recurring donation to keep this podcast free and independent. You can also watch and listen to me record Frack You Very Much and other podcasts live on Twitch at twitch.tv slash unrelatedthings. Here is the band The Sugar Cubes with the song Dear Plastic. Thanks for listening. Thank you.